You're listening to a podcast by New Heights Church. We hope you're encouraged to glorify, grow, and go. If you would, turn your Bibles to Psalm 84. Turn your Bibles to Psalm 84. Today's psalm is about uh, a journey, a journey made uh, by the Old Testament church as they traveled uh, to uh, the temple. But it's also a symbolic uh, a journey that every son and a daughter of God makes in, in life. Um, now, stories of journeys are quite common, right? It's a, it's a common literary device. Uh, you know some of the classics that are used in storytelling, right? Think of um, like Lord of the Rings, right? F- uh, Frodo and company travel to Mount Doom, right? To, to destroy the ring. The Mandalorian, right? Where Din Djarin hikes through the galaxy to get uh, Baby Yoda wherever he was supposed to go. Um, Don Quixote, right, the crazy old man who thinks he's a knight to rid the land of evil. Or maybe the most quoted movie here at New Heights, Dumb and Dumber, where Harry and Lloyd travel across the U.S., right, to Aspen, Colorado, return a suitcase. So it's a common tool used, right, because it's relatable. This idea of being on a journey is relatable to us. Because with a journey, there is an end and with a journey, there are difficulties. And with the journey in Psalm 84, it's not that different. Right? It speaks to a people who deeply desire and long to get back where they know they're supposed to be in the presence of the Lord. I have three points and questions for you this morning. What do you yearn for? What do you depend on? And what do you trust in? Before we unpack Psalm 84, let's, let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word and we thank you for your grace. Lord, thank you that we can gather here together and worship you, Lord, that you hear our song, that you hear our prayer. Lord, I pray that we can just hear your word and that you will use it to train us up in righteousness, to bring about reproof, to bring about repentance. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So starting to Psalm 84, verses 1 and 2, it says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Here we see the desire of the psalmist. And what stands out to me is is this yearning to be present with the Lord. Notice he says, my soul longs. He yearns to be with the Lord desperately. Have you ever ever longed for something? Yearned for it to the point where you you have that sense of urgency. Where you can feel it, that, that sense of desperation. I'm not sure what in your life has made you feel that way, that desperate urgency for something you long for. I, some of you, it might be that feeling, if you can recall the day of your wedding, like grooms, as, as you waited at the altar for your wife to come down the aisle, maybe there was that sense of urgency to see your bride for the first time. Maybe it was anticipating the birth of your child. Maybe it was graduation, as that journey of all the classes you had to take and go through, that when you finally made it to the end and it was finished. For our house, it's no doubt, without a question, it's the Advent season, right? It's, it's Christmas. 
Uh, we, we have those advent calendars and every day, right, my kids in the morning, they run, they open up the little box and they sing. There's only 10 more days left, nine more days left, eight more days left. They love it. They ring bells, sound the siren, and they run, excited that Christmas is coming. So much so that my daughter wanted my dog, Milo, to get in on the party. So she made him an advent box, each one with little dates on the door that, that they unwrap and then they give to the dog, Has some have blueberries and dog treats and little notes, promises of pets to the dog. Dad gets nothing. I get no advent calendar. The dog gets stuff. And it's funny because now even the dog, this isn't a joke, last night Julie and I were at the kitchen table chit-chatting, and the dog runs over to the advent calendar and starts whining, like, is it time? Is it, is it the next day yet? I'm like, this is ridiculous. Now with the psalmist, he is desperately yearning to be at the end of his journey. But sadly, he's separated from the temple. He's separated from the congregation where he wants to be. And, and the psalm doesn't tell us why he's separated which only makes it more universal. Right, whether it's those who are shut-ins, who are watching online. I think of Sweet Mary, if you don't know her. I think of the deployed, the, the, those who are, who are working, who are due to sickness, whatever reason, who are temporarily separated from congregational worship. There should be a longing and a yearning to be here with one another. Worshiping the Lord, a yearning to hear the word, a yearning to sing his praises. And notice the writer not just longs, but he even is at the point of fainting. He's so desperate. It causes him to sing. Both heart and flesh are unified to worship the God who lives. The writer deeply desires to be in the Lord's presence and this desire is overwhelming and it's real. I'm, I'm curious, is this a yearning that you can relate to? Or is, is an idea of yearning for the Lord or his word or just to be in his presence or with, or with his people, is this so foreign to you? It should be relatable. Part of the Christian experience is a should be a longing to be closer to the Lord. It's why Paul desires in Philippians, right? He says, listen, I, I wish I could desert or, or, or leave this life and go be closer to Christ. But my journey's not done yet, right? I have work to do. But that's his desire, is to leave. Ask yourself and be honest. Do you yearn for Christ? Psalm 84.3 reads, Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. I love the imagery. Even the birds nesting. It makes me think of when Jesus teaches in Matthew 6.26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? 
Likewise, right, if a sparrow, the smallest of birds, can find rest and security at the altar of the Lord, how much more can we, or you, of not more value than they? But also I want to take this and approach it from a different angle. If the smallest of birds has the wisdom to draw near to the Lord, not just for herself, but nesting and raising her little babies at the altar of the Lord, how much more should you? If we're honest, some of us have nested far away from God's people. Some of you, right, we nest on sporting fields, in front of televisions. And there's a natural temptation to nest away from God's people, to be apart, to be away. My prayer is that our hearts are in accord with this psalm, that there's a yearning for the Lord, for his word, for his people. And again, that this longing isn't such a foreign concept. I pray that we have a godly desire to gather. Because you should. It's an expectation of God's children. Now I know right now it's, it's easy, even with lifts in this space, it is easy to gather here. It is, it is, it's beautiful and it's new, right? And every week we come in, there's something new, there's something more done, and it's very easy right now to gather in this place. But this place will not be new for long. Soon it will become what is common. And what is familiar becomes tiresome. And no longer do we find ourselves yearning to be together. Now the writer wants to be in the temple, but it's not because the temple's simply beautiful, and it was, and there's nothing wrong with that. It was because who filled the temple? That's what drew the writer. It's not the temple itself, it's who was in the temple. Both the Lord and his people. And I let that be your prayer, that you can yearn for him, and that you never tire of yearning to be together. May we not become those recorded in Amos who, who became complainers, right? Amos 8.5, uh, we, we see here a recording of, of these individuals who started to get tired of all this worship. It says, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale? Here, the opposite end of the spectrum than, than the writer of Psalm 84. This here, this person's not yearning. They're not longing. They're looking at their watches. Going, all right, when is this? Are we almost done? Is this song almost over? Are we at our last point? What are we doing for lunch? When, when can I go make money? When can I go get mine? How long is this worship going to last? If your hearts are not guarded, worship can become nothing more than obligatory nuisance. Church, we're not above such temptations. 
Guard your heart from losing an appetite that yearns for the Lord more and more. Go to verse 4 of Psalm 84. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Now think of what this verse is saying. Right, those who dwell with the Lord day after day after day right, are blessed beyond measure. Well, I have good news for you, Christian. Unlike the psalmist, right, you don't have to travel to God to be in his midst. Right, he traveled to you. He traveled to you. And, and think about what season we're in. Right, That's what we're celebrating is when Christ came. The incarnation, when God took on flesh to be with us. And remember what Paul tells us, right? 1 Corinthians 3.16. He says, do you know that you are God's temple? That you are God's? That God's spirit dwells in you? Or, or chapter 6, verse 19 of the same book. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. Listen, the, dwell, the Lord dwells in you. Individually and collectively, we are the temple of the Lord. With Christ Jesus as our cornerstone, and each of you a brick that's meant to be together. let it be that when people open the doors to our lives, what they see is a genuine yearning for holiness, for godliness, for Christ himself, for people who long desperately to be closer to the Lord and to one another, for God's glory and our good. What do you yearn for? I mean, you know, the Lord knows. What do you yearn for? What do you daydream about? What gets you up and going? What motivates you? Is it the gospel? Is it the grace you've received? Or is it a desire and a yearning for more stuff? More status? Or is it for a risen Savior? Second question is what do you depend on? Now, this is the central section of the psalm, and it focuses on the journey up to Jerusalem at the lowest point of the sojourner with the ultimate goal of getting out of this desperate state and appearing before the Lord. It says in verse 5 of Psalm 84, Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. Right? To know your strength is in the Lord is to know that you are weak. It's to know that you are weak is to know that you need help desperately. It's why the heart of the sojourner, if you read it there, right? It's his heart is towards Zion, focusing on where the Lord is. It looks towards the throne of God for help, for dependence. 
And here we see the traveler's heart, right? He's yearning for God's strength to carry them forward because he knows he's not strong enough. He doesn't have all the answers. He doesn't understand all the afflictions that come. The wise understand just how helpless and weak they are. That's why Peter warns the church in 1 Peter 2.11. He warns them. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. The Christian life, it demands humility. It demands humility, which means you need an utter and complete dependence upon the Lord himself. Claire and I, the other day, we were in the car and we're talking about space. And it was just interesting because we we've been studying the planets and whatnot. And, the, and we're talking about the Earth's atmosphere. And we're talking about how it's so crazy, all the galaxies, right? The thousands upon thousands, millions of galaxies. And there's this one pale blue dot in the sea of the universe that we are on. We're talking about how vital our atmosphere is. Not only does it keep in the heat, but it keeps in the needed gases that, so we can breathe and, and so plants can grow, right? It keeps it all in. And I was just, we were just reminiscing of how truly weak we are and how also the atmosphere keeps things in, but it also keeps things out, right? Meteorites and things of that nature. Things that would obliterate us. And she says, I don't want to talk about this anymore. <laughs> because it reveals exactly how helpless we are. We cringe at the thought sometimes. But the truth is our very survival is dependent on Christ who holds all things together, not just in the material world, but your spiritual journey is no different. In this journey, you're a fool if you think you can persevere by your own strength that's why we pray to God to remove temptations from our eyes and from our hands, from our hearts, because left our own devices, right? We, it will consume us. Verse six says, as they go through the valley of Baca, they, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. Now the valley referenced here means the valley of tears, the valley of sorrows. Inevitable destination for every pilgrim making his journey through life. Right, All of us at some point, no matter how hard we yearn, find ourselves at a point in a place of despair. Surrounded by a landscape that seems hopeless. And far, far from where we want to be like those this morning who had to park all the way down by the VFW, who looked and had to walk in the rain. The valley of Baca was arid. It was dry, right? There was, there was nothing there. But what did they do? They made it a place of springs. A diff difficult part of the journey, no doubt. And often, it's our habit that when difficulty comes, we depend on our own strength, or on all the wrong things. Not long ago, I had a, my own dose of humility that was passed to me, not in the too distant past. Our, uh, I, 
I had to get up on the roof, and I, I don't know why I had to get up on the roof. I'm, I'm assuming there was a leak that I thought that I could go fix. I don't know why I thought that. I can't fix anything, like nothing. Uh, and I remember saying to Julie, I said, hey, I'm going to get up. I'll get up on the roof tomorrow. And in a nice way, without being like, you can't do anything, don't do that. She said, maybe, maybe you have a friend who can help you, you know? <laughs> maybe you should call someone. And I'm like, oh, I got it. It's fine. It's fine. So she goes to work. The kids weren't there. I don't know where they were at. But uh, I'm like, I'm just going to get a ladder. I'm going to get up there. And I get up there, and I realize I don't know what I'm doing. And I also realize how terrified of heights I am. I mean, I'm terrified of heights. Like, I'm on, we, we don't have, our house is not big. But for me, it was like, I felt like I could feel the house swaying. Like, I was on the Empire State Building. The wind was blowing. And I realize I get up there, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. I brought like my glue gun and like popsicle sticks. And I'm, I'm like, I don't, I don't know what to do. And at this point, she gives me a phone because she just randomly happens to call me. And is like, what are you doing? And I'm like, and so I have this thing. When I get really like, not nervous, but like scared nervous, I just laugh, right? It's a weird laugh. It's, it makes some very awkward moments in my life. But she calls and I have this weird, she knows the laugh. And she's like, what are you doing? What's, what's wrong? I'm like, I'm on the roof, and, I, and I, I'm trying to get down, but I kicked my ladder over, and now I'm stuck up here. And she goes, call my dad. Now that's the, I'm not calling my father-in-law. I'd be like, Roger, I'm stuck on the roof again. I need, <laughs> I need your help, you know. He'd come there. He'd be like, why do you have a glue gun? So I'm up there. I'm up there so long because I'm, I'm refusing to ask for help. I'm like, I'll just sit here until I figure something out. It's so bad, I end up getting a sunburn while I'm up there. It's so hot. Eventually, the neighbor sees me, and I assume, like, I'm kind of chilling. I see him. I didn't want him to think I was panicking. And I'm, I, I imagine myself kind of sitting all cool on the roof, you know, just chilling. I know I look more like a spider monkey, like, desperately trying not to fall off the roof. And he's like, you need any help? And I just said to him, no, I'm just fixing the roof. <laughs> and then he asked me, are you sure? And I said, no, I, I'm stuck. Could you please help me? <laughs> I tried to avoid him at this point at all cost. But some of us are that way spiritually, right? We think we can do it ourselves. We think we can do this journey alone. <laughs> Newsflash, you can't. You can't. Our Lord has built us in such a way where we are dependent on him and each other. An isolated brick can do nothing. It's no good for itself or for anyone else. So please search your heart and your life. Listen, if you lack prayer, if you lack devotion, if you lack biblical community, if you, if you lack humility, you are lacking dependence. The prideful has a long journey and it leads to despair. Now this psalm, it shows us someone whose eyes are fixated on the Lord. His eyes are not wandering Right? Even in discomfort, even when the valley of tears and sorrows, even when he's in misery, the Christian can rest. 
Because we know that it's not that God is unaware. It's not that he's uncaring or cold. In fact, scripture writes, the pilgrim sees suffering for the Lord as a privilege. Because even in the midst of suffering, there is a blessing. And when that blessing isn't exactly clear, just remember this, that after the valley, there is an ascension. Every time, after the valley, there is an ascension. I don't think it'll be on the screens, but it's why in 2 Corinthians 4.17, right, Paul says, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. What do you depend on? What do you find yourself dependent on? on for safety for refuge take time and really think about it today what do you run to and do you ever bend the knee to the God who rules over your affliction if not you need to repent Psalm 34 and 19 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Remember the promises of the Lord and cling to them. Psalm 84 continues in verse 7 and 8. It says, They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Salah. When the psalmist gives hope. Right? He gives hope by saying, listen, you will appear before the Lord one way or another. Right? Your journey is going to end and you will be with him. Despite the weariness of this journey, he will get you there. The writer continues to give a plea for that strength, right? In verse 8, O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. A plea to give us strength. A plea to give us focus. So that our yearning for Christ outweighs the pressures and the distractions that seek to take us off course. Let that be your prayer this morning and throughout the week. Finally, I ask you, what do you trust him? Verses 9 and 10. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Right, we see humility here, don't we? The psalmist is not looking to be known. He's not looking to be a rock star. He's not looking to be adored. He wants to be close to his king and faithful to his king. What a beautiful thought. The idea that I'd rather be in your presence than anywhere else. Can you say that this morning? Can you sing that song without dripping with hypocrisy? And what I love here is the doorkeeper was a nobody, right? He's a low-level attendant in the temple. 
forgotten and probably overlooked by most, most definitely overlooked by history. No one ever looks, opens their Bible and go, you know who's my favorite doorkeeper in the Bible? We don't think about them. Now the writer puts this doorkeeper piece in here for a reason. It's personal to them. If you would, if you have your Bible, look at the top of the psalm, Psalm 84. You're going to see that this psalm is written by and for the sons of Korah. Now, if you're looking, by the way, if you're looking for a good heavy metal band name, look no further, right? Sons of Korah. I like that one. Now, this name may sound familiar to you if you're a Theo nerd, right? You're like, I know Korah, right? Korah is a cousin of Moses, right? He was a Levite. Uh, Now, during the Exodus, during the Exodus, we read about this cousin, Korah, and his people, his family, was in charge of, like, tearing down the tabernacle, setting it back up, right? His job was, he was, he and his family were the set-up-and-tear-down team of their time, right? That's what they did. They set it up, they tear down. They set up, they tear down, and they stood at the gates to make sure everybody was safe. That's what they were doing. But Korah... He, he didn't like that. He was dissatisfied with this. This wasn't, uh, this wasn't, he deserved more, right? This was too low. This wasn't exciting. I mean, he's probably going, I'm the cousin of Moses. I should have something a little better than this. Be in charge of the setup and teardown team. He wasn't valued like he thought he should be. And this is not what he had in mind when he signed up to follow the Lord to set things up for other people. He wanted to be the focal point. So, he decided to lead a rebellion. And what God deals, how he deals with rebellions in Scripture are some awesome, radical ways. And here's the judgment of Korah and his family and friends. This is Numbers 16. You can read about all of it in Numbers 16. I, I would encourage you to do so. But I'm looking at verses 32 through 35. Uh, this is after him and Moses have a spat, and he challenges Moses and the Lord. He says, and this is God judge, judging him. He says, the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with all their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods So they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol. It's terrifying, isn't it? And the earth closed over them and they perished from the midst of the assembly and all Israel who were around them fled at their cries. For they said, lest the earth swallow us up. The fire came out from the Lord and consumed them. 250 men offering the incense. Korah, the patriarch of these writers, was a fool who was not satisfied with just being a gatekeeper. He didn't yearn for the Lord. He didn't, he longed for his own thing, for his own glory. He lived for himself. He didn't depend on his God. He took matter into his own hands, trying to bring about his own plan. And Korah didn't trust the goodness of his king as he sought to thwart God's will. 
And because of this, Korah's journey, along with all those who followed him, died. Now, skip forward many, many years later. The Hebrews now possess the land. There's a temple that was built. And the few descendants of Korah that were left remained. And they wrote a beautiful psalm detailing how awesome it is to just be in the court of the Lord, even if it's for one day. How awesome it is just to be in his presence. This song is given to them by the Lord almost as a response to their foolish patriarch. Because they learned to trust the Lord and his plans for their life even if it wasn't glorious in the eyes of the world, even if you and I don't remember any gatekeeper in the Bible, history forgot about them, but the Lord knew their name. And that's, that's what kept them going. That's what excited them. Because the truth is to live is Christ and to die is gain. Right? The writers understood the beautiful line for a one day is better in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Verse 11 and 12. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Here's our final reminder before we continue our journey today that our Lord is a source of guidance. As the sun lights our way and the shield of faith guards both heart and mind, the Lord has given you his way and his statutes to follow him. The Lord has shown you much grace and as we see, he's poured out every spiritual blessing. He has gifted you with spiritual gifts. He's gifted you with each other. Christ redeems and even promises to exalt you and I to rule even over angels, something my mind will never comprehend. Are we not? We can think of what we sing about and what we believe. Are we not spoiled children of the king? I mean, truly. Listen, if you don't see yourself as a spoiled daughter and son of God, then there's a problem. We are deeply spoiled. And there's nothing wrong with being spoiled, only not knowing that you're spoiled. That's the problem. The fact that you know truth that was given to you by him. Your faith was given to you. Your life, your breath, the forgiveness, the righteousness that you are clothed in, that was given to you. A crown. Think about this. A crown. You know your sin. You know your depravity. Despite that, a crown will be given to you. And to me, 
The Lord knows all of your sin. He knows all of your thoughts, the things that we hide from each other. Yet he says, I will give you a crown. I will call you good and faithful servant. An eternal home, absent of weeping or pain or sin, will be given to you. Given to you. So that we may know the king who lives. Look at verse 12 one more time. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. What a statement. Do you realize how blessed you are? Do you realize how blessed you are? Do you ever sit back and think of this journey you're on and just count your many blessings that the gospel reached your ears ever? That you were plucked off a journey and a road to hell and placed on one to the arms and in the hands of Christ. You are blessed. Whether it's the goods, the trials, the highs and the lows, the greatest blessing, the greatest of the blessings is that you're known by God. That you by name were atoned for. That you by name were shown grace and given faith. That you by name were known before the foundations of the world. Blessed are we who trust in the King of heaven and earth. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. To learn more about New Heights Church or a relationship with Christ, please visit our website at www.newheightswv.com.